Okay, we are starting. We are starting in Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine. Let's start reading from verse one. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book the number of years which, which was revealed as the, as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from Your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people. Okay, so when he starts, the the date here is, is 539 B.C. This is in the first year of Darius. So Darius, remember, is a Mede. There was a kingdom of Medo-Persia, Persia being the dominant within the two, Media, the Medes being older, They were dominant. Then the Persians came in. They unified. The Persians were made more dominant, became more dominant. And it was was actually the Persian king that installed Darius there to be king over the Chaldeans. So that's over the province of Babylon. So it was was, uh, 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 King Cyrus installed Darius, the Mede, over the province of Babylon. And that was in 539 B.C. That's his first year. So it's been 66 or 67 years that Daniel has been in captivity. Remember, there were three deportations from Jerusalem to Babylon. And those three deportations, Daniel went out with the first one of those deportations. And it was 19 years. And then there was a second deportation. And then finally... 19 years, there was the destruction and the third and final deportation. But this is now 66 or 67 years since that, that uh, captivity began in 605 B.C. So Daniel had been in, in, uh, uh, in Babylon for 66 or 67 years. That would make him in his mid-80s at this point. So Daniel is quite old now, in his mid-80s, and uh, he's quite well established there. He says that Darius is the son of Ahasuerus. He's, a, he's the seed of, of the Medes. And, and we talked about his appointment by, by uh, uh, Cyrus. Then he says, in, he says uh, um, I, Daniel, this is in, in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was re- revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So it's interesting. Here you have Daniel, the statesman, Daniel, the prophet, Daniel, the man of God. And what does it say about him? It says that he was studying the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. Jeremiah was a prophet 
who remained in the land. He remained in Jerusalem and continued to prophesy. Ezekiel was also a contemporary of both of theirs. Ezekiel was in Babylon. He came in the second deportation to Babylon, but he never rose to be a statesman. He remained upon the common people, among the common people, and was a prophet among the common people in Babylon. So Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were all contemporary prophets. So Daniel is reading works from the prophet Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah is, is uh, uh, down in, in Jerusalem, a four-month journey. How is he able to read the things that Jeremiah is, is saying and writing? Well, obviously, there is transport between the two cities. And as this transport is occurring, documents are being sent to Babylon for the Jews in the diaspora to read. And Daniel is reading those documents. So if you turn to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 25, and we're going to look at uh, uh, verse, verse 10, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be desolate and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So, Jeremiah had prophesied that because of the disobedience that was going to occur, that the Jews would be in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel read this. Daniel read this. This is how Daniel knows in 70 years. It's not, he doesn't say, an angel came and spoke to me. Gabriel the angel spoke to me. God spoke to me in a vision. He doesn't say any of that. He said, I was reading the Bible. I was reading the prophets. And it was disclosed to me that we were going to be 70 years in Babylon. Turn to Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 29 now. And again, we're going to start reading from from verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So Daniel is reading, <coughs> he's reading this book as well. And he sees that God is going to restore them to the land. In the last part of Jeremiah that we read, it specifically said 70 years. Isn't that interesting? You can learn things about what is going to take place in the future by reading the Bible. If you read the Scriptures, you will be a lot more settled in your spirit because you will know many things that are going to take place in the future. There's a lot of details you don't know about, but there's many things that you can know about 
by studying the Scriptures. There's many behaviors in life that you pick up that you can learn by studying the Scriptures. So you don't have to always say, well, I'm praying about something. You don't have to pray about it. If it's revealed in the Scripture, no use praying about it. Just do it. Just believe it. Daniel took the Scriptures very seriously. And this is what he did. And then he also knew from other writings, whereas Jeremiah specifically named it as 70 years, if you turn to the prophet Isaiah. So this is about 150, 175 years earlier than, than, uh, uh, than Daniel. So if you turn to the prophet Isaiah and look at chapter uh, 44, Isaiah chapter 44, you'll see a prophecy by Isaiah, which he was well aware of because he was a student of the Scriptures. So Isaiah 44, verse 28. It is I who says of Cyrus that he is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built and of the temple your foundation will be laid. 175 years before Cyrus is king of Persia, Isaiah names him by name. You say, how did he do that? It's called inspiration. He names him by name. There is going to be a king named Cyrus. And he is going to open up the door. God calls him, he is my shepherd. He's going to open up the door for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. He is going to be <clears throat> the one to proclaim, she will be built. Daniel's well aware of this text. Daniel is well aware that all of a sudden, Belshazzar was, was, was slain overnight. That Darius is appointed by whom? Cyrus. By Cyrus. Cyrus is the king of Persia. Cyrus is the one who is going to make the proclamation that Jerusalem shall be rebuilt and that and of the temple your foundation will be laid. So he even says of the temple your foundation is going to be laid. So if you look also at, uh, uh, turn over to Isaiah 45, verse 1. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the loins of kings, to open the doors before him, so that the gates will not be shut. And so you see that again, he names him by name. He says of Cyrus, he's going to be my anointed one. As far as we know, Cyrus didn't even know the Lord in the Jewish context. But God used him as a vessel. He's the one who made the proclamation. Send them back. Let the Jews that remain underwrite the rebuilding of the temple. And he also took up his own assets and used it to rebuild the temple. So the temple in Israel was underwritten in part by Cyrus, king of Persia. And it was also underwritten by the Jews that remained in Persia and in Babylon. And this is the pattern that you see. To this day, Jews that are in the diaspora, Jews that are outside Jerusalem, support the rebuilding of Israel. To this day, the buildings are there. And, and uh, uh, they send back money. This is the pattern that was, that was uh, uh, laid out in this time. There were other books that gave other background on this, but it was Jeremiah who specifically said 70 years. This is how Daniel got his insight. You take a man 
or a woman who spends time in the Word of God, you will be amazed at their insight. But they pour out over the Word of God. So Daniel goes on, and so there's, there's other, other books that <clears throat> in Leviticus, Jeremiah, Hosea, 1 First King, First Kings that lay the groundwork for this. It's only, if we go back to, to, uh, to Daniel chapter 9, it's only in Daniel chapter 9, only in this chapter, that the name of God is used, often translated as Jehovah. In many translations, you see the word Lord, but in all, all uh, capital letters. Uh, this is the YHVH, this Yahweh. This is only used in this book in the sense of there is a covenant-keeping God. It's only used in this chapter of this book, so, so not in any of the other chapters. So Daniel correctly understood that the Babylonian captivity was about to end. It would end in about three years from the time that, that this uh, uh, occasion is occurring. And this didn't come by revelation. It came by just reading what Jeremiah had written. So Daniel, but he mistakenly assumes that the millennial kingdom would now be established. So Daniel rightly understands that there's going to be a return to Jerusalem, but he mistakenly thinks that the millennial kingdom is going to be established, meaning that the Messiah is going to be installed. In the first century A.D., had the Jews received Jesus, has the Jew, if the Jews had received Jesus as their Messiah, He still would have had to die on the cross, but He would have resurrected and established the Messianic Kingdom at that time. Because of their rebellion and their, their, their lack of accepting of Him, He still died for their sins, but the Millennial Kingdom has yet to be set up. That's going to be set up after the seven years of tribulation. We have not even entered the tribulation period yet. That's going to, to, to happen at, at the, uh, um, after the seven years of tribulation. So Daniel had part of the understanding right, and part of it, his interpretation was incorrect. Well, welcome to my world. This is, this is what happens to us. We, we, we understand certain things from the Bible, and then other things we misinterpret. This is our lives. We misinterpret the Bible. The Bible is never wrong. Never, ever wrong. I was giving a talk recently and somebody said to me, so I gave a talk at George Fox University in, in, uh, just outside Portland. And, and uh, somebody, and I, and I gave this talk on, on uh, evolution. And somebody said, well, what would happen if we know for certain that evolution occurred exactly like scientists say? Would that bother you? I said, no, not at all. Wouldn't bother me a bit. Wouldn't shake my faith a bit. And so one student wrote to me, he says, how can this be if God spoke that there was a man named Adam and a woman named Eve, and how could that not then shake your faith and cause a real destruction of your faith? I said, it wouldn't shake my faith at all. It would just say that my interpretation of the Scriptures were incorrect, that God was speaking allegorically when He spoke of Adam and Eve. Not that I believe that now, I'm just saying it would mean that I misunderstood. Jesus said, I am the door. I don't take that to mean that Jesus is a door, like a door over there. I mean that, I take that to mean that Jesus is saying He is the way through which we go. So there are things that we certainly accept as being allegorical because we can't accept it as being non-allegorical. And so I would say that my interpretation was wrong. This is what happens. 
Now you look in Daniel um, chapter 9, verse 3. He says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So the way they prayed, this was a common thing when they were in intense prayer. They would, do, they would pray with supplications and with fasting. That means you go without eating. This is exactly what it's spoken about also in the New Testament. And it is miserable to go without eating. We were made to eat. But there are times in your life where you will be called to dedicated prayer. And you will skip a meal, or you'll skip two meals, or you'll skip days. And the Lord will bring you to a point where you can even go days just drinking water and praying. You say, ah, you know, it can't happen. I mean, if I miss a meal, I'm starving. You're really not starving. You're not going to die. I guarantee you, you're not going to die by missing a meal. Unless maybe you've got your, your hyperglycemic or something like that. But in general, you're not going to die. You're hungry, but you're not starving. There's a difference. And you can learn to have a seriousness in prayer. The other thing that they would do is they would put on sackcloth. So it was a very rough clothing. And they would put ashes on their head. That was something that we don't normally do. That's not part of our culture. And it's not spoken about doing in the New Testament. Remember, what is our instruction? Our instruction is the New Testament epistles. It's spoken of to fast. It talks about how the church was fasting. And praying, and then they set aside Paul and Barnabas. So, so there was fasting going on. But there's not sackcloth and ashes, but that was extreme dedication. Daniel was a serious man when it came to prayer. He wasn't lackadaisical. I mean, he was really serious. You have a serious prayer life. A serious prayer life, or you will forever remain weak. You will forever remain weak if you do not have a serious prayer life. If you do not take prayer seriously, Daniel prayed. And so he is praying and making supplication. He says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God, to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and, and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. If you look through the book of Daniel, you will never see him committing an act of sin. You will see just about everybody else except Jesus in the Bible committing some wrong, some act of sin. Not Daniel. Not Jesus, not Daniel. That doesn't mean that he didn't, it's just not recorded. But in other words, he was a pretty good guy. And he takes upon himself the sin of the nation. So that's what he does. He starts confessing the sin of the nation. If you, this was a requirement that was needed for restoration. Daniel knew this. Daniel didn't just say, oh well, in three more years, we're good to go. We're going back. Not going to happen because there were certain prerequisites. The door would be open, but you're not going through that door until you go through the certain prerequisites that are needed for you to go through that door to go back to Jerusalem. And if you look in Jeremiah chapter 3, yeah, let's start reading in verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. 
I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O fatherless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you and I will take you one, and I will take you one from a city and two from a family and will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds from my own heart who will feed you, feed, feed you on knowledge and understanding. And it shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord, they will no, no longer say, and, and then he goes on. So he says, what you've got to do in coming back here is you have to, in verse 13, you have to acknowledge your iniquity that you've transgressed against the Lord your God. And you, so this is exactly what Daniel's doing in Daniel chapter 9. He is confessing and acknowledging the iniquity of, of, uh, of, of Israel. And he is taking this upon himself. He says, okay, the time has come. This is an important lesson for us. If we just sit back and to just leave it up to the Lord. Well, if God wants that person saved, they'll get saved. What about you? Talk to them. Talk to them. This thing that, oh, they'll just get saved if they're supposed to get saved. Maybe they won't get saved if you don't speak up. There are things that He calls us to. Daniel couldn't just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, we're getting, going back in three years. You're not going back in three years unless you do this national repentance. This is what it says. So this is exactly what Daniel is doing. He takes upon himself. He didn't do any wrong. Daniel wasn't the one who did wrong. In fact, if you look at the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel gives the example of three people. He says, Noah, Daniel, and Job. If you had the righteousness of Noah, Daniel, and Job, you'll only save yourself, but you're not going to save everyone around you. So remember, Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel. Ezekiel is there in Babylon. He probably sees Daniel on occasion. Ezekiel is living among the people, ministering to them. Daniel's living up in the palace compound. He speaks about uh, uh, Noah, the righteous Noah. He speaks about the righteous Job. Those people far predate Ezekiel. But he also speaks about Daniel amongst those other two. Now remember, your contemporaries know what you're really like. Maybe in a few hundred years they'll write, you know, how wonderful you are. You know, at your funeral people will stand, he was such a great guy. I've never known him to get angry or upset or anything. And you're looking down from heaven and saying, they're not talking about me. <laughs> you know, and there'll be all sorts of platitudes there. But here, Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel. <clears throat> and he's saying, Daniel is a really righteous guy. Daniel is calling down upon himself the sin of the nation. He's saying, we blew it. We really messed up. And he's confessing this before the Lord. There is a confession that needs to take place. And we can sit back as unbelievers and sit back and think, this doesn't affect us. Turn to, uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Later on, Daniel goes in, he says, you know, all of this was prophesied, that if we do these types of things, if we fall into these types of sin, even the law, meaning what Moses wrote, 
has condemned us in this. Daniel chapter 29, and if you look down in, in, uh, in verse 19, well, let's start reading in, uh, no, we'll start reading up here in verse 14. Daniel 29, verse 14. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but with those who stand here, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. So, in other words, Moses is speaking and he says, I'm making a covenant. And there's, the Lord is, is, is making a covenant with us, not just with the people who are here today with Moses, but with many people who are going to come after us. And then let, let's skip down to verse uh, uh, 18. So that there will not be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord, your, Lord our God to go and serve other gods of the nations that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. It shall be when he hears the words of the, this curse, that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. The Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him and the Lord will blot his name out from under heaven. The Lord will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant which are written in this book. So what he's saying is this covenant with Israel is not just for the people standing here today. This is going to be for all Israel. And if there should be a man in 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, oh, I can, I can do whatever I want. Those curses that Moses wrote, they're not going to hit me. God said, I will single that man out for adversity. He will be singled out for adversity. Do not think that you can ex- escape the wrath of God. Do not think that you can sit week after week without accepting the Lord and it will not affect you. It will not hit you. God will single you out for adversity. Let's look in Luke. Let's see what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. If you think that, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff for the Jews. You're not Jewish. It doesn't affect you. Okay, let's look in Luke. Luke chapter, chapter 12. Let's see what Jesus said. Luke chapter 12. We're going to start reading in, uh, in verse 16. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And he, meaning Jesus, he told them a parable saying, Luke 12, 16, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is a parable that Jesus told. This is something that hits all of us. 
If we think, oh, I'll be fine in life, these curses in this book couldn't hit me. I'll be fine in life, I'll just work really hard in my career, I'll make a lot of money and I can just kick back. So he told a parable about a man, a rich man. He says, i got so much stuff, I can't even contain it. I know what I'll do. I'll just build, build bigger barns and a bigger storehouse and I'll just lay up goods for many years to come, much longer than the rest of my life is going to need. And I'll say, soul, you have so many goods laid up, just take your ease. And God called him a fool. He says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? If you are waiting weeks, months, years to receive the Lord, you do not know what you might fall into. You don't, do not know that you might not get run over today walking out of this church. You don't, do not know what is going to confront you. Come to the Lord. He will single you out. If you come week after week and listen week after week to His Word and do not respond to the light of it. The reason why Nebuchadnezzar came to know the Lord is that when the testimony was given, when Daniel shared with him what his dream was, he responded to the light. He didn't get saved at that moment, but he responded to the light. And he acknowledged that Daniel's God is God of all gods. And then when he saw Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, when he saw those three men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, come out of the fire, he acknowledged, he responded to the light. He said, this is a great God. This is a great God. Greater than all gods. He responded to the light. That's why God gave him another chance. That's why God, in the next chapter, Turns, we, we turned over in, in, in Daniel chapter 4 when, he, when, when uh, uh, God gives, gives a vision and, and uh, uh, Daniel interprets a dream for him and says, you better turn to the Lord. He didn't do it, but God was still reaching out to him and he suffered great pains. He became like an animal for seven years. Why was God still reaching out to him? Because he responded to the light. You hear the light this day, respond to it. If we respond to the light that's given to us, we get more light. If we do not respond to the light that's given to us, we move further back. If you were to ever read the book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, you will see this. If you respond to the light, more light is given and you get closer and closer to God. If you do not respond to the light that's been given you, you pull further and further away from the Lord. Respond to the light. Get saved this day. Do not think in your heart, oh, it doesn't affect me. I can keep going on with my life. You know, it didn't affect my father or my grandfather. The Lord will single you out. You have been told more than your father. You've been given more light than your father was given. Respond to the light. Respond to the light that's been given you. I ask you this day, if you do not know the Lord, ask for Him to come into your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart this day. Respond to Him. Do not think that you will get away. The Lord will single you out. You can go to any country and the Lord will single you out. Because you have heard this word. You have heard it now. You are without excuse. If you think that as a believer you can get away with certain things and it will not affect you, you are wrong. You will be singled out. 
the Holy Spirit will identify you and begin to give you light on what you must do and the repentance that needs to take place. He calls us to repentance. Daniel took repentance very seriously. He even took upon himself the sin of the nation. He said, we have sinned. We have sinned. Daniel was a man that was active in repentance. He knew what repentance was. And he took it very seriously because he realized the good favor of things that had been prophesied was not necessarily going to come upon them. After 70 years, the door would be open. But without his prayer, without his turning, without the national cry, there would be no opening up. There would be no opening of those doors. We don't know if Ezekiel at this time was still alive. Remember, Daniel was a very old man. Part of the reason, and so Daniel lived much longer than his contemporaries in that day. He's in his mid-80s. He lived much longer than his contemporaries in that day. Maybe partially because for a portion of his life he was eating just vegetables. You go on a low caloric diet, you can extend your life by 10 years. This is known. The other thing that Daniel was castrated. He was an, a, a eunuch. Castration will add another decade or so onto a man's life. This is known. This is part, maybe why he's lived to be such, so, so much older than many men in, uh, of his period of time. But in any case, so we don't know that Ezekiel was still alive at this time and, and able to cry out in this way. But Daniel was crying out. Daniel was doing this. Open your hearts to the Lord. Do not think that you will get away. God will single you out. You have a great opportunity here. A great opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. Don't let the opportunity go. I am turning to my Chinese friends here. I love the Chinese people. Almost every good result that comes out of my laboratory is done by Chinese people. I've got so many Chinese working for me. Every one of my patents has Chinese people on them. Every one of my publications has Chinese people, Chinese names on them. In fact, they're all Chinese names except for this guy, Tour. Everybody else is generally Chinese. I love the Chinese people. I am asking you today to open up your hearts to the Lord. My Chinese friends, do not let this day go by. Do not think that, oh well, maybe next week or the week after, maybe in six months. If you have accepted Jesus in your heart, do not delay on getting baptized. For some reason, Chinese love to get delayed on being baptized. They never want to take that commitment. Whether you are Chinese or not Chinese, anybody, you get baptized in the Lord. If you have received the Lord, get baptized. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of disobedience to not be baptized. Baptism comes after you are saved. It says they believed and then they were baptized. If you've not been baptized after believing on the Lord, get baptized. You say, how do you do it? Just go on up and... and, and uh, uh, just uh, um, email S. Ramos, Sammy Ramos, and tell him you want to you, you want to go for baptism. If you don't know the Lord, you accept the Lord this day. Ask Jesus into your heart, and then we'll get you set up for baptism. But I also want to put you through a 13-week program on discipleship. You come to me, we'll get you get you installed in that, so you'll learn what it means to walk as a believer. This is very important. Don't let this opportunity pass by. You may not have another chance in your life. 
you may not have another opportunity. If you do not respond to this light, you will not receive added light. You will end up actually pulling back. Respond to the light and receive the Lord this day. We are going to pray. And as I pray, you ask Jesus to fill your heart. And then after this class, you wait for me. After we take the Lord's Supper, you wait for me. And you come and you tell me. And I'll get you set up in a, in a, in a discipleship class. If you've not been baptized, you can come and see me. We'll get you set up for baptism. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of it. I pray, O Lord, this day for those here who do not know You but have heard this Word and heard it before that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and He's risen from the dead. Abba, I pray this day that they would invite Jesus into their hearts. If you've not received the Lord Jesus, repeat with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you for forgiving me. Fill my life to overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Lord, I pray for the others here this day. Those that know You. Lord, I pray that they would be responding to the light. That they would be those who understand what it is to repent. Understand what it is to ask for for forgiveness. Understand what it is to take from the Scriptures to see what's there as Daniel did. And that they would understand what it is to pray into existence the things that you said could take place in a life. That they would learn to pray that into existence. Father, that they would not be lackadaisical in their faith. That they would not be shoddy in their faith. But Lord, that they would be serious about their faith. Father, your mercies abound on them, I pray. For the glory of God. Amen.